Would you bow with me once more and let's pray as we prepare to enter God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you that by it we have guidance for every area of life, including how we are to behave in response to our our government's authority. And so we pray, Lord, that this morning as we enter your word, as we hear it, and as we seek to apply it to our lives, that you will graciously be with us. Because we know, Lord, that in this realm there is more controversy and more division in our world today, it seems, than ever before. And so we desire to be wise in this area, Lord, and how we conduct ourselves as your people. And so please guide us to that end and speak through my words this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now today, July 1st, 2018, is the 151st birthday of the Dominion of Canada. Has anyone noticed that a 151st birthday doesn't seem to be nearly as big a deal as a 150th birthday? (laughs) I was driving down the street this morning on the way to church thinking, where's all the flags? We got one up in front of our house, but we saw maybe one or two other flags. But last year, almost every house had a flag. So it just shows not all birthdays are created equal. I shared in last year's Canada Day sermon that the title Dominion of Canada rather than Nation of Canada is for a very specific reason. It was, in fact, suggested by a man named Sir Samuel Leonard Tilley, one of the 33 fathers of Confederation who was a born-again Christian. And the reason Sir Tilley suggested the title Dominion of Canada was because on the day of their meeting, in his personal morning devotions, he had read Psalm 72, verse 8, which reads, He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. That title, Dominion, captured his imagination, that he shall have dominion. Now, who is the he being referred to in this passage? None other than Jesus Christ. This is a messianic psalm. And so here we see at the laying of its foundations, the dominion of Canada was deliberately established under the lordship and rule of Jesus Christ. Our national anthem reinforces this by boldly declaring, God keep our land glorious and free. Make no mistake about it, the glorious and free land that we have enjoyed as a nation for the past 151 years is a direct blessing of God upon the following generations of the founding fathers who loved and feared him and established this nation upon him and his word. Now, while living under these exceptionally good conditions, in fact, I would dare to say that if you were to do a survey of history and compare it to how we have been living for the the last decades, this has been one of the most unprecedented stretches of freedom and prosperity and peace that a nation has ever experienced, possibly in the history of the entire world. It is incredible what we have experienced, even in comparison to many, many nations around the earth right now, today. We have prosperity. We have personal and religious freedom. And so in these conditions, it's very easy for us to submit to the governing authorities above us. But what about when we see things moving in the wrong direction? Are we still to submit to the government when we see them beginning to make decisions contrary to God's word and God's way? What then? It's difficult when we see things eroding right before our very eyes. We see religious freedoms beginning to be infringed upon. How do we respond? I will tell you that I 
have struggled mightily in this area. A great deal. I have wrestled with this. And now, let me just say at the beginning of this, I love this country. I really do. I feel so blessed to have been born in this nation. And so it troubles me how, for many years now, we have seen our governments and our courts steadily moving further away from God's word and God's ways. Let me give you a quick overview. Divorce was legalized in 1968. Abortion was legalized in 1969. Then later in 1988, it was completely opened. Prayer was removed from public schools in 1982. Gay marriage was legalized in 2005. Doctor-assisted suicide was legalized in 2016. Just this year, a new attestation was attached to a summer workers program forcing charitable organizations such as Turtle Mountain Bible Camp to agree with the current government's stance on being pro-abortion and pro-LGBTQ rights in order to be approved for funding. Then, you may have heard just two weeks ago in a landmark case in the Trinity Western University's application to start a law school, the Supreme Court of Canada, in a 7-2 ruling, struck down their application for the single and sole reason that, as a Christian university, they have a student charter that requires students to uphold the biblical definition of marriage as being exclusively between one man and one woman, and to abstain from sex outside of marriage. The Supreme Court ruling said, quote, It's a proportionate and reasonable limit to religious rights in order to ensure open access for LGBT students. So we have our Supreme Court saying that it's proportionate and reasonable to limit religious rights. Then just last week, an Alberta court struck down the appeal by Christian schools that it was an infringement, an infringement of their religious freedoms to require them to provide gay-straight alliance clubs in their Christian schools. And additionally, school staff are prohibited from informing parents if their child were to form or join such a club. Then, if we're not done yet, on October of this year, our government will legalize the drug marijuana for recreational use. This in spite of mountains of research that show that marijuana use, especially among those under 22 years of age, will without exception accelerate mental health issues. And as several young men who have escaped hard drug addictions have personally told me, they all started out on the pathway of drugs by smoking pot first, casually. Every one of them told me that. Now, without elaborating any further on any one of these single issues... I share all of this to show you the steady direction that our government and courts have been moving for a very long time now, and it seems are accelerating. So, as Christians, how are we to respond to all of this? How are we to behave under our governing authorities in this context? Well, I know how we want to respond. There's a story told of a government surveyor who brought his surveying equipment to a farm to do some work for the state by which he was employed. He knocked on the farmhouse door and asked the farmer for permission to go out into the fields to take some readings. Well, the farmer had no hospitality for any state or county officials, so he refused to give the man permission to work in any of his fields. He figured, quite rightly in fact, that the government was going to take some of his land for a public project. And he said, I will not give you permission to go on my land. The surveyor then produced in a very official-looking document from the government that authorized him to do the survey anyways, and he declared, I have the authority to enter any field in the entire country to do my work, uninhibited. 
So, faced with the authority of the county, state, and federal government, the farmer unwillingly opened the gate and allowed the surveyor to enter his field. The farmer then went to the far end of the field and opened one more gate, through which one of his fiercest bulls came charging. And seeing the bull, the surveyor dropped his equipment and began to run for his life, at which the farmer shouted after him, Show him your paper! Show him your authority! Now, we've all got a little bit of that farmer in us, don't we? We've all just got a little bit of that. When the government comes knocking and they ask politely first, but then you find out after that, while they're not really asking, they're telling, we want to resist. We want to fight back. And everything from driving the speed limit to paying our taxes, our sinful nature resents and resists the government's control and authority over us, at least a little bit. But for the Christian... For the follower of Christ, even when our concerns over the direction and behavior of our government are valid, does that justify responding the way that the farmer's attitude and action did? Well, in Romans 13, verse 1, you can turn there with me this morning, our key text for this morning's message from Romans 13, the Apostle Paul gives this emphatic reply. Listen to what he says. Everyone, that means everyone, no exclusions, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Now, that's a big pill to swallow, isn't it? Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Now, though we may not like Paul's answer very much at all, he proceeds to give three reasons as to why we as Christians are to submit willingly to the government's authority. Reason number one, because they have been established by God. Let's continue to read verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So here we see three times... In two verses, Paul states the fact that God himself has established all government authority, all of it. Now, remember, when Jesus was on trial, and he stood before Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate had said to him, don't you know that I have authority over you? I I can take your life or I can save it. And Jesus replied to Pilate by saying this, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. So here we see Jesus corrects Pilate to say, yes, you have authority, but it was given to you by my Father from above. Now, one of the biggest hurdles for us to cross in order to have the right attitude towards government is that we need to have the ability to see and accept this key fact that all governing authorities are established by God. Now, Right away, I know where your mind is going, because it's where my mind goes when I read this text. Well, what about bad governments? What about despots, dictatorships? What about them? Well, let's look at the context of this passage. Remember, Paul is writing this letter in a specific time and place to a specific people. The the, The title of the letter is what? Romans. These people lived in Rome. Now, we've got to look at the era they're living in. 
The era they're living in is tremendous. These words must have come as a complete shock to the Christians living in Rome because consider, they were living in the capital city of one of the most wicked and cruel empires ever to rule over the the known world of that day. On top of that, the emperor of that time was a man named Nero. You may have heard of Nero. Nero was a psychopathic despot who took pleasure in killing Christians. In fact, following the great fire in Rome that some believe he likely started himself, he looked for a scapegoat and blamed the Christians. He proceeded to do things like burn them alive as torches to light up his garden parties. He would also dress them up in animal furs and throw them into the arena to be devoured by wild animals. Yet in spite of its cruelty, immorality, and persecution, outright persecution of Christians, Paul writes this letter to the Romans and tells them to submit to the Roman government. You see, as incomprehensible as it seems to us, God can and does use leaders and governments that do not acknowledge him and are in many cases completely evil. And yet he uses them to still accomplish his purposes. Proverbs 21 verse 1 states this principle. The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. Pharaoh, King Saul, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Cyrus, Caesar Augustus, King Herod, Caiaphas, Pontius Pilate, King Agrippa, and Felix are all biblical examples of leaders who God used in spite of the fact that they did not acknowledge him. Now, does that mean that these leaders get off scot-free for bad behavior? Not at all. Not at all. For while God established the authority that they used, their sinful abuse of that power and authority to use it for evil is still on them, and God will still hold each of them personally accountable for it. They don't get off scot-free, even though it may appear that way to us in this life. God will deal with them. God will judge them according to his perfect knowledge and will. And we must remember, though God gives us free will, we are still held responsible when we misuse it. And it's the same with the government and our leaders. God will hold them accountable. But nonetheless, even in sometimes evil actions, God is still in control and he can still use them for his purposes. But now the obvious question. What if the government decrees that we must do something that goes completely against what God has instructed us to do? What if the government orders that we can no longer pray to God under the threat of being thrown in with man-eating lions. What then? What if the government orders that we stop sharing the good news of Jesus under the threat of imprisonment or even death? What then? Well, in those cases, then we must remember we have a greater allegiance to a higher authority. Remember what Jesus said to Pontius Pilate, you would have no authority except that which is given to you from above. Our highest allegiance is to that which is given from above. So when our government instructs us to do something completely against what God has instructed, we have a higher allegiance. And so we humbly and courageously do as Daniel did. We keep praying and we trust God to deal with the lions that we must face. Or we do as Peter and the disciples did. We keep preaching Jesus and declare we must obey God rather than man. So in the end, unless we are forced to directly violate God's word and commands for us, 
Whether a government is good or bad, whether our preferred candidate is elected or not, whether we agree with our government or not, we will still submit to the governing authorities because they have been established by God. Now, this, of course, doesn't mean that we don't use the lawful means at our disposal to respectfully voice opposition to laws that are contrary to God's word. Now, remember, the Apostle Paul could have hardly imagined a democratically elected leader in his day. You know, in his time, governments were simply a matter of what type of tyranny one was under. We here in Canada, we have been supremely blessed with a great degree of influence on our government. And so we we do things like vote. We do things like write letters to government officials. And we sign petitions. But having done everything that we lawfully can, we submit to the outcome. And so for this reason, we submit because they have been ordained by God. Number two, we submit to governing authorities because they maintain social order. Romans 13, 3 and 4 says, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear from the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So here Paul takes us another step with these verses. Those in authority, he says, are God's servants to do us good. (laughs) How do you like that? Those in authority are God's servants to do us good. My initial reaction to that is, government, do us good? Okay, like what? Let's name a list here. Well, at the most fundamental level, the most basic level, through laws, courts, military, and law enforcement, the government maintains national security and social order to the benefit of all. Now, here in Canada, we take this completely for granted. But I guarantee you that if we were to go and live in a failed state like Somalia for just one month, if we survived the ordeal, we would never take national security and social order for granted ever again. It was just last summer I spoke to a former refugee from Uganda. And he's been living in Canada for 10 years now. And he told me that he had heard, before coming to Canada, he had heard that after a Canadian election there was actually this thing called a peaceful transition of power from one party to the other, without bloodshed or revolution. But he said he didn't believe it. He didn't believe it was possible. Because in Uganda, if you don't like the leader, you get a gun, you go join a rebel army, and then you try to overthrow and kill the leader. That's it. The only way. So he said after coming to Canada... That in 2015, when he had watched on television as Prime Minister, then Prime Minister Stephen Harper, had simply and peacefully handed over all the power of his office to the new Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, he was so overcome that the peaceful transition was actually true, he said he had just wept. He had wept tears of joy. That there was no rioting in the streets, there was no one running around with guns, it was peaceful. And he wept tears of joy. And he said that when he had called back home to tell his friends in Uganda, no one had believed him. No one believed it was possible. Yes, the government exists for our good. For consider, if the government did not exist to punish the lawbreakers 
Anarchy would reign, and it would be everyone for themselves. Paul says, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant and agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So think about it on the level most of us can identify with. If there were no speed limit, how fast would you drive? I know how fast I would drive. It would be slightly above 100 kilometers. Now, let me ask you. There is a speed limit. There is a law. There is law enforcement to enforce those laws. How fast do you drive? 119. There's an honest man right there. Now, if you get caught driving 119, the police officer will hand you the ticket and you'll say, I deserved it, right? 120. Okay. Riding the margins. Now, This is one of those areas where we quickly see how this works. If there were no laws, he would drive faster than 119. So would I. Now, because there's laws, we still push the the limit a little bit. They're enforced to keep a little bit of fear in us that we shouldn't go too fast. But still, it keeps it from being the roads being ruled by anarchy. If they became anarchy, it would be a very dangerous place to go. It's dangerous enough to go on the roads as it is with laws and people trying to follow them. So this is a small example of how the government and their laws are for our good and our protection. It keeps everything from descending into chaos and anarchy. Now we go up the ladder from traffic laws to the courts, to fines, and prisons as tools of the government given by God in order to maintain social order. Earlier in the book of Romans, chapter 12, and verses 17 to 18, Paul had instructed them just earlier. He says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Carefully consider what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So as Christians, to live at peace with everyone is what we are to aspire to. So even when evil is directed our way, do not repay it in kind. That only inflames the situation, which is exactly what we see happening today in the increasingly hostile political discourse going on all around us. It's insult for insult, it's, it's slight for slight, it's slander for slander, and we see this division emerging all around us. I, I've seen lifelong friendships end because of differing political views. We, we see families splitting up over political opinions. We, we see... Such hostility happening in the political arena, in our news cycles, and it's, and it's trickling down into the basic levels of society today. We sense that something is shifting, something is changing, and we as Christians better recognize how are we to behave in this new environment. Because when we see things happening like people being denied service in a restaurant simply because of political affiliation, something is wrong. And, and when we see stuff like that going on, we see just the other day in BC, someone was wearing a mega hat and, and they kicked them out of the restaurant because it's affiliated with Donald Trump. We see things like this happening that I have never seen before. Maybe some of you have seen something like this in the, in the far past. But this is new, this level of hostility happening in our, in our political realm. And so we need to face something very important here. Ignorant and foolish talk is ramping up. Hostility is ramping up. All of these things are the seeds of chaos and rebellion. And so, how are we as Christians to respond to this today? Peter, in our call to worship, gives us the answer. Listen to what he says. 
It is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Have you ever gotten into an argument with a foolish person? How did that go for you? How did that go? In an argument with someone spouting ignorant talk and and just sticking to it even though you had facts to prove that they were wrong. How did that go for you? Did you persuade them? I have tried multiple times. I have yet to persuade a single person. In fact, all it leaves us with is me mad and them more sure of their position than ever before. It just doesn't go anywhere good. Peter says, don't argue, do good. Do good. And so as Christians, under that umbrella of doing good, we should always strive to be examples of peaceful disagreement, to be gracious towards those who are unnecessarily being hostile towards us, to not return insult with insult, to not be those who fan the flames of unrest and chaos, but to be those who will go above and beyond to seek peace and pursue it. And it starts at the grassroots level in our own discourse with others. I'm not saying this is easy. Believe me, I know it is not easy. But it is what God's word tells us. And although we will not like everything the government does, the fact remains that God uses the authorities he establishes to do us good. Now the third reason we submit to their authority. We submit because we will keep our conscience clear. Verses 5 to 7. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect, if honor, then honor. Now here the attitude Paul sets out is much different, entirely different than the attitude of the farmer who opened up the gate for his bull to chase after the surveyor. We don't only submit because of possible punishment. We submit because we want to keep a clear conscience before God and our fellow man. And so, Paul says... He gets right down to brass tacks on this one. We pay our taxes. All of our taxes. Yes, all of our taxes. Now, I'm not arguing here this morning about whether or not our taxes are too high or some of them are unfair. You may have an opinion on the new carbon tax. I do too. Paul says it doesn't matter what your opinion is. If the tax is law, you pay your tax. Now, of course, we have the right to vote to change the tax system, but we are reminded that what the law says we owe, we owe, and we pay it. There's a tax auditor who once asked a man about one of his deductions on his income tax return. He said, we have some questions about your tax return, Mr. Jones. Like what? Mr. Jones asked, to which the auditor replied, well, let's begin with where you claim depreciation on your wife. Where's Derek? Have you seen that one before? No, that's a, that's a new one. Well, as Christians, this is very important because when we talk about paying taxes, this falls into that gray area. We don't cook the books. We don't fudge the numbers. As followers of Christ, we want to keep our conscience clear by paying what we owe. And we pray for the conviction and strength to do what is right in this area. The other area where we may struggle 
to give what we owe to the government, and this one is one where I struggle in. He says, respect. If respect, give respect. Now, I will say this morning that I am as guilty as anyone of telling jokes about the Prime Minister and some of the things he has done. I've done it. I've shared some of the memes. I've done things like that. And here is where I have to catch myself and all of us have to catch ourselves. Because while we may not always respect the man or the woman in authority over us, we must still respect the position and authority that they hold. Not always easy. But the best way I know of how to do this is to obey God's command to pray for our leaders. Again, it doesn't matter if we like the Prime Minister or our MP, the Premier or our MLA, the Mayor or our Town Council, but God instructs us to pray that the Lord would use and guide them to act wisely according to his purposes, whether they acknowledge him or not. And so I find that as I pray for them, even when they're doing things that I see wrong as wrong, I find in prayer it helps change my attitude that even if I don't respect what they are doing or how they are behaving, I respect the position because God has called us to respect it. And so... Some of us need to check ourselves on how we behave on social media. The sort of things we're posting, and and I'm pointing the arrows right at myself as well, that even if our guy's not in the office, we still respect the office because of what it represents and that God has said that he is in control, he has put them there, and we are to give respect in our speech. And sometimes that might just mean we zip it. We might not have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And so we must learn to do that, and I include myself in this. Paul's inspired words apply to all of us today. And although we live under the government of Canada and not the government of Rome, the command to submit to the governing authorities remains the same. And we do that because God is still the one who establishes governments. God still uses them to maintain social order And by submitting, we as Christians continue to keep our conscience clear before God and man. And at the end of all of this, I encourage you to remember that while it may seem that there is a never-ending whirlwind of politics swirling around us and that somehow that's where all the decisions get made, we must remember the real power to change this world does not sit on Parliament Hill in Ottawa. It's not in the Supreme Courts. It's not in the White House or in the Senate. The real power to change the world comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The real power is at the cross. Now, I told you earlier about the Emperor Nero and how he ruthlessly murdered the Roman Christians, many of them in the arenas and Colosseum. Now, imagine that you could go back in time nearly 2,000 years and go and talk to those Roman Christians who this letter was written to. Imagine if you could go back to them who lived in the shadow of the Colosseum, literally in fear for their lives. Many of them had to descend to the catacombs to hide away. Imagine that you could go to them, some of whom had had family members already cruelly executed in public spectacles in the arena. And imagine going to them, you said this, someday a cross will stand right where the emperor sat in the Colosseum. And the cross will not represent the thousands of crucifixions carried out under Roman law, under the Roman heel. 
The cross will represent the single crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth. And someday, centuries after the Roman Empire, is a pile of ruins. Millions upon millions of people will worship this man whose cross stands where the Roman emperor used to sit. Someday, the Roman emperors will simply be a footnote in history talking about the life of this one man, Jesus Christ. So let me tell you today, governments rise and fall. Kings come and go. And yes, leaders will continue to promise you the world for your vote and inevitably fall short. But listen to this. Jesus is the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. So friends, today, whatever trials the Dominion of Canada will see in the coming years, and I suspect there are many more to come, this much is certain. Jesus will still be Lord. No matter what we face, Jesus will still be Lord. If we face the lions, if we go to prison, no matter what, Jesus will still be Lord. The cross will still triumph in the end. No matter what befalls us, the cross will stand alone in the end. And we know, and we look forward to the day when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There will be full submission to him and his perfect rule. My friends, I look forward to that day. I really do. But until that day, our challenge is to strive to live in this present age as though that day has already come. And to that end, we strive and we pray that God will use us in our witness as we submit to our authorities that God will give us the peace to go out and proclaim the message to do good in every opportunity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a challenging word for us. To not only submit in our actions, but in our spirit and with our respect to our government authorities, even when, and especially when, they are doing things contrary to your word and your way. Help us, O Lord. Forgive us for where we have fallen short. Help us to be those who can keep a clear conscience in all things. And that, Lord, if and when the day comes where we must obey a higher authority, that is you, and, and the day may come where we are told we can no longer gather in this way, where we are told we can no longer pray or preach, that, Lord, you will grant us the courage like Daniel, like Peter and the disciples, to say we must obey God rather than men and trust you to whatever end, that in the end, no matter what happens, the cross will stand in triumph. Just as it does today over the arena of the Colosseum of Rome, the cross stands as testimony that emperors come and go, governments rise and fall, but you endure forever. Your dominion has no end. And it is you that we long for. So we look forward to the day where we will, we will be under your perfect rule forever. But until that day, give us the strength and courage to live as though that day has already come. Bless this nation of Canada. Be merciful to this nation. Bring revival, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.